Chelsea Fairless and we are back to talk about a sex in the city episode is this a mid as the kids call it episode is it just like a mid-level sex in the city episode or do people not like sex in the country people really don't like sex in the country I thought it was fine it is fine every episode of sex in the city is good there's no bad episodes actually there's think- ones that are a little more flat and a little less exciting and eventful i think this might be one of those but you know you still have samantha milking a cow as foreplay so i think this is an episode that kind of gets you to the back half of season four yeah between miranda and steve charlotte and trey the domestic side of carrie and aiden yeah So the episode begins with Carrie having a voiceover that says Manhattan is the center of the world. True. For any person that lives in Manhattan. (laughs) But this is all uh, an intro to Aiden's rustic cabin that he goes to on the weekends, which reminded me that when I lived in New York and you start to meet people who are older, who've spent decades in New York, and they're very, like, well-rounded, happy people. And it's like, how have you lived in New York this long? And you're just a chill person. And then invariably they tell you, like, oh, I have a house in Connecticut or New Jersey or upstate. Yeah. Aiden has a cabin in Suffern, New York. And how is that not an asset? That's goals, especially for someone in a creative field, like a furniture designer that has an investment property. That's incredible. And a writer. Yeah. Uh, To be fair, if a guy took me to a house of his that had no air conditioning during the summer, I would lose my mind. Yeah. Well, it was rude of him to not disclose that. And it was rude of Carrie to not disclose that to Samantha later in the episode. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Chelsea, just know I would never do that to you. No. It's rude. That's evil. It's too humid. I really appreciate in this episode the set decoration of Carrie's apartment. Just the the magazines. Yes, you saw her magazine collection. You you see it in a few episodes, but not to the extent that you do in this this opening scene. Also, I was noticing when she's around where the magazines are, where she usually writes and where Aiden's chair is, just the artful clutter that feels very realistic. And then that Chinese lantern that I had never noticed before. Oh, yeah. She is that girl, you know, you you go to Pearl River, you get a nice lantern, decorate your one bedroom apartment. You know, classic New York shit. I have used the line, I'm a bona fide city girl maybe since this episode aired when I had not lived in New York yet. But I think that is a perfect description of me. I am a bona fide city girl. You are. Well, Carrie is saying this because Aiden's like, come to my cabin. She obviously doesn't want to go. She's like, I'm Which again, why? I mean, is this rewatch turning us into Aiden apologists? Because we're like, why? Go to his cabin, I'm very much an Aiden apologist in this particular episode, for sure. But yeah, she's she doesn't want to go. She's like, I'm a city girl. I go to late movies. I go to late movies in the middle of the week. I'm crazy. And I love that because I relate to that. Or at least I did when I lived in New York. It's such a specific moniker, but it's like, yeah, yeah. 
I would never do that here because then I'd have to drive home. And everything in LA shuts down at 10 p.m., let's be honest. Yeah, you can't really do that. So Miranda shows up for some event between Carrie and Miranda that we never end up seeing, but it's all to set up that Aiden goes, oh yeah, Steve wants to talk to you. And she goes, what? He wants to get back together with me. He's in love with me. And then Aiden cuts her off and says, he's got testicular cancer. Yikes. As we've been rewatching the Sex and the City episodes in a post and just like that world, I get a better understanding of why we, and that's a collective we, didn't like the show. And I think one of the reasons is we spent six seasons being trained for a certain cadence and joke setup. Right. And that's just gone? Yeah, for sure. I think I made this analogy at some point, but it's like watching a show that looks like Jeopardy, but the game is completely different. Right. And... As a viewer, there's something, there's like an inherent tension. I think it's just human nature. It is like human nature, like survival instinct, literally to be able to look at a situation and predict what's going to happen next as a means of staying alive. And and just like that challenges challenges us (laughs) in that way. It's very uh, Lars von Trier. (laughs) Daddy and BK is working on multiple (laughs) levels. No, but... I mean, the way this is written takes a skill set that I understand why you'd be like, let's just have them talk like normal people. This is way too difficult to do this joke setup reversal punchline. Yeah, but it's so good. So over at Wasp Central, Charlotte and Trey are, are fucking and trying to get pregnant. I guess Charlotte stops him because... Yeah, Charlotte isn't letting Trey fuck her because she wants him to conserve his juices because she's not ovulating and she's about to be ovulating. But darling, I'm juicy now. <laughs> Which only Kyle McLaughlin could deliver that line in a very charming way. I watched this episode with Tat and she was like, Kyle McLaughlin is not hot. He is <gasps> not fuckable. And I was like, Trey is not fuckable. Because preppy guys are just inherently, you know, ugh. But Kyle McLaughlin... Very fuckable, I think. We've been having this conversation off air about James Spader as I've been going deep into James Spader's oeuvre and I was discussing how no one occupies that like cerebral, handsome, but you can tell he's fucked up sexuality that James Spader had in the 90s. But I think Kyle MacLachlan does, even though he didn't really do any of those kinds of roles, showgirls notwithstanding. (laughs) Yeah, I there's a twisted sexuality that's lurking behind the facade, I think. Yeah. Or at least I hope there is. But when Charlotte is supposed to be ovulating, they have to go to Connecticut to see Bunny, to which Trey makes the remark, people having sex in Connecticut, there's a first time for everything. And it's like a funny line, but what, Trey's funny now? I get Kyle McLaughlin delivering this line, but Trey has never been funny in, a, in an entire season. It's true. So then we have a scene with Miranda and Steve sitting on a park bench talking about his cancer diagnosis, of course. Do you remember that time in the early 2000s where truly testicular cancer was so chic? I, this is They were obviously inspired by Tom Green and Lance Armstrong, as stated in the episode. Except they don't say Tom Green. They say that Drew Barrymore guy oh, no. is what Steve says, which is so fucking legit because I believe that he would know who Lance Armstrong is, but... 
I don't think he would be an MTV watcher necessarily. Right. He wouldn't be savvy enough to know Tom Green's first and last name. He'd just be like that weirdo that Drew Barrymore married. For six months. That to this day, she's still like, I don't know why I married him. Aside from Tom Green, the line that really dates this is, everyone's getting it. It's the TiVo of cancers. That and I looked it up on the net, which also reminded me that this was a period in time where we didn't know what to exactly call the internet and cell phones. Like that was also the net. Yeah, we were just basing it off of that Sandra Bullock thriller. And we were calling cell phones cellular phones. Like there are many films and TV shows from this era where it's like, call me on my cellular. Yeah. And I was like, nope, almost. I feel like Justin Timberlake in The Social Network. Cut off the yuller. It's called sell. So Miranda yells at Steve. She makes him cry. She yells, it is a big fucking deal. She's pissed that he's just using some doctor through his HMO instead of a specialist at Beth Israel. <laughs> Which is like, well, yeah. That her lawyer friends went to. I guess it is the TiVo of cancer. I mean, it seems like a bunch of people in her law office got it. (laughs) That was a great transition to the diner scene, though, where we see Steve crying and then it cuts to Miranda being like, I made him cry. Another thing I would love to see an end just like that. (laughs) I thought this was such a great example of chic but very casual outfits that I wasn't expecting in a season four brunch scene. Oh, I completely forget all of them. What what were they wearing? Well, no, I can't remember. But they, they were just very chic and not very designery, which I was not expecting in season four. It felt like a season two brunch. Right, right. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Carrie reveals that she is about to be a quote unquote hick town hostage. <laughs> very classist. Yeah, which Miranda says, so you have to be someone else to be in a relationship. And I'm like, can this Miranda talk to season one and just like that, Miranda? (laughs) Or is this foreshadowing that Miranda, according to Michael Patrick King's idea of who Miranda is in the new series, that Miranda had to be a different person to be married to Steve? Yeah. Samantha makes the astute point that weekends are for fucking the new guys so I don't have to keep fucking the old ones. I love Kim Cattrall's delivery of, what is it about everyone in the weekends? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was one thing that I thought was really bizarre about this episode is Samantha's entire plot is that she fucks guys and then they want to fuck her again or see her again. This is one of the rare Sex in the City episodes where the theme really doesn't follow through to each character. It really is a Carrie-specific right. idea, but yeah. Well, it's nice that she has the option to fuck these guys or date these guys if she wants to. Yeah, it's not really a problem. <laughs> like, I can't feel bad for her. So Carrie gets to the country with Aiden and his old-school pickup truck, which... You know, I'd love a whole digital short about where Aiden parks this car in the West Village. The times he's not using it. But that's a that's a me specific thing. Also, Carrie straightened her hair for the country. Yeah. Seems like an odd choice. It seems like where you might want to get curly. Yeah, one would think, especially with like the humidity for sure. Um, she is immediately horrified by Aiden's pet squirrel. We, where we get the first Carrie shriek in the episode. Which we should probably put here. Ah! Oh, God! Oh! What is it? 
We should just use that sound effect <laughs> regularly on this podcast. I think it's too jarring, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. What would you do if, okay, in this hypothetical reality where Tat had a cabin in Suffer, New York that you didn't know about, and you screamed at a squirrel, and Tat was like, that's my squirrel. See, the whole thing about Tat is that this would be the reverse situation. I would be Aiden, and right. she would be Carrie. Because she grew up in the city and I grew up in the country. So we've had these sorts of issues over the course of our relationship because she is so domesticated. (laughs) Although I don't think she would scream at a squirrel. And I don't know why Carrie is screaming at the squirrel because squirrels are way cuter than like rats and pigeons, which are the animals of Manhattan. Yeah, that is the the puzzling part. I mean, once you've seen a, a rat pull a piece of pizza up a subway stairs, it's like... You know, as she says, a squirrel is a rat with cuter clothing, so she should fuck with a squirrel. In theory. Okay, so I I do have the, I couldn't help but wonder for the episode. Right. Which isn't really, and I couldn't help but wonder, but it is the Carrie quandary of the episode, let's say. So they fuck, because that's the only thing to do when there's no TV, and I guess she didn't bring a Danielle Steele novel. So they cut to the clock, it's 8.30, which, yeah, it's a little early. So she makes herself some vodka Kool-Aids and sits at her computer. So she says, three hours, two mosquitoes, and one too many vodka Kool-Aids later, I found an outlet for my computer, but not my frustration. Relationships, no matter how good, inevitably are a series of compromises. But how much of ourselves should we be willing to sacrifice for the other person before we stop being ourselves? In a relationship, when does the art of compromise become compromising? Which is really giving, were you silent or were you being silenced energy? It's a fair question, right? Because in any relationship, you have to make compromises about the day-to-day stuff, right? But the big things you shouldn't compromise on, or maybe maybe not the big things, but the things that cause you to abandon yourself in some capacity, right? For sure. That's when compromise becomes toxic. And when that happens, and then when these relationships, marriages, what have you, inevitably combust, and the person completely loses their sense of self, that's when the nightmare begins. For sure. I mean... If Aiden was trying to get Carrie to dress differently or force her to get married when she doesn't want to, like <laughs> that's what this voiceover seems better suited for is when she doesn't want to marry Aiden. It's just about a weekend cabin. It's true, but she was getting bit by mosquitoes, which is a personal trigger of mine. <laughs> so I understand her not being into that. And the, the lack of AC is... Maddening. That, yeah, that's a that's a deal breaker. I love the country. I love a rustic little shack, but like also what's that cabin like in the winter? I bet it's delightful. Every time I watch this episode, I go, hmm, vodka Kool-Aid doesn't seem like the worst idea. I know. I'm <laughs> sad that we didn't Oh, do that in honor of this episode. Yeah. All right. We should have thought. We'll get to it. Yeah. This episode, I mean, every Sex and the City episode, and that's what makes it so great, really tracks through a lot of story. But 
this tracks through a lot of story in just one episode. Yeah. Especially because it feels like a bit of a filler episode. But then you have Miranda and Steve. Miranda's trying to make up for yelling at him by getting Chinese food, letting him have the last egg roll, and watching terrible kung fu films with him, which I guess is something Steve loves. And she's like, I'm sorry I was too hard on you. And he's like, thank God you were because I called my insurance company and this crazy Beth Israel specialist is covered by my HMO. Like, in what fucking world? Well, she apologized for being a bitch and he goes, thank thank you for being a bitch. You've saved my life. (sighs) We're in Connecticut with Bunny and her orchids. I love this hobby that Bunny has that I completely forgot about. Yeah, I forgot about that too. She basically corners Charlotte in her greenhouse and is like, you know, I've been very anxious about my forthcoming grandchild. A wee McDougal to carry on the family name. (laughs) Is what she says. (laughs) Also, I I guess, well, they are wasps. Your bunny isn't bad. Thank you. Or is it just like a generic generic British person even? A mid-Atlantic. Yeah. A Kathleen Turner doing a mid-Atlantic accent, but older. Yeah. That was my inspiration. Thank you for asking. I guess they got over that incident in the previous season where she made out with the gardener. Do yeah. You th- do you think he was fired? I love how no one really cared about that, including Bunny. She was like, yeah. She was too drunk to really like take it in, I think. She's like, she's like, who hasn't gotten dick down by a groundskeeper? I think she even says that, right, in the yeah. episode. She's like, you're real... You're a big doodle now. <laughs> She's like, I fucked his father and I, my mother fucked his father before that. <laughs> uh, oh my God. So Charlotte and Carrie are talking on the phone. A rare thing in these episodes, these ladies talking on the phone. It happens, but kind of sparingly and very rarely is it Charlotte and Carrie. Yeah. But they are venting. Carrie has absconded with the pickup truck to get food because the only thing to eat is if you have to cook it. And she's like, well, fuck that. And you know what? I've skipped breakfast and been out in the world so many times that when it does get to lunch, I'm like, fuck it. It's time for in and out Yeah. Sometimes you just got to have a burger. But she has to drive to New Jersey to get it. The horror. And I say that as someone that was born in New Jersey. (laughs) Okay, but she's a little dramatic, right? Because it it is... It carry? Dramatic? Because it is established that this cabin is 40 minutes from Manhattan. Yeah. Like, that's not... Like, it takes me 40 minutes to drive from my house to your house most days. But that's just LA. Yeah, but... It's not like a fucking day trip. She can hardly handle the amount of silence, which is when we inevitably write our film about a woman having a nervous breakdown over a weekend in a cottage, we need to remember the line, the silence out here is deafening. (laughs) Very Bergman-esque. So Carrie orders a cheeseburger, large fries, and haha, a cosmopolitan. Get it? Yes, and that is the big line from this episode. That's right? what you'll always carry with from this no, episode? No, that's just what everyone has carried from this episode. That is the most iconic line from this episode. I don't think it's really debatable. But then, you know, of course, there's the static and the guy goes, what? And she's like a strawberry milkshake, which made me wonder, what is your go-to milkshake flavor? Mine? Yeah. I guess a chocolate? Yeah, I'm a chocolate. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, would love a strawberry milkshake if someone handed me one. Yeah. But. Recently, my, my dad got 
Carney's. Guys, if you're ever out in Los Angeles, there's a hot dog and burger place called Carney's, and the theme is that the restaurant is in a train car. And there's one in Studio City, and there's one. <laughs> oh, on I thought Sunset it was like Boulevard. a carnival theme. I was no, assuming. it's the Carney's is across from Sunset Tower. Oh, it, that yeah, okay. that's supposed to be a train car. <laughs> no, I know it's a train car, but like, sh- oh, should we be eating there? Like, what's the vibe? Yeah, I love Carney's, but my dad brought me back a vanilla milkshake, and I was like, who do you think I am? Who the <laughs> fuck drinks a vanilla milkshake? <laughs> you, like throw it in his face, like fuck you, dad. <laughs> Give me that chocolate milkshake. Oh, on a related note, we have great news about the Standard Building in WeHo across the street from the train car in which you speak of, which has received a landmark status. So no need to worry about it being bulldozed by some psychotic billionaire building some sort of sick and depraved retail and luxury condo hybrid space. Oh, don't you worry. I mean, it's not a billionaire. It's Ian Schrager, a multi-multi-millionaire. But I'm sure what they're going to do is just like build Build it up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Who cares? They're going to keep those two stories. Look, I hope they do have luxury apartments because I feel like you and Tat would. (laughs) That is an ideal space for the two of you. (laughs) Moving on, Charlotte mentions to Carrie that Bunny is so hyped up that she's going to get pregnant that she wouldn't allow the chef to put shrimp in her omelet. To which Carrie's like, you have a chef? How far is your city from my city? Which it's like, you know where. Connecticut is but that is the fucked up thing about New York is like you can literally drive in New York State for 12 hours and still be in New York State it's true this is where Carrie gets into a pair of overalls which she has saved just for this moment and helps Aiden do something she's clearly not qualified for some form of manual labor to be fair she'll wear overalls any place (laughs) anytime not just when she's feeling extra rustic also, why is there forever a mud pile by Aiden's house? Because in the next episode, Big will fall in the same mud pile. Yeah. It's a wet, wet, suffering cabin. Yeah, he needs to get like a landscaper. He needs to get Chris Jenner's uh, landscaping <laughs> team. So Carrie goes back to the city. We don't see the scene where she makes Aiden drive her to the train station. She's like, no, 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 it's okay. I got to prepare for that meet with my editor. Bye. Do you think she told Aiden that she was having dinner with Big? She must have, right? I kind of like that they skipped over the conversation because we can imagine what it would have been like. Right, but I feel like we've gone from him calling her on the voice voicemail earlier this season while Aiden's fucking her. Right. That ends with the you have to forgive me. And then we kind of skip over it until this. Yeah. This is a total side note, but I did notice Chris Noss gray hair poking out in this scene. And I was like, oh man, he's been like dying this hair since the early <laughs> 2000s. I did not realize. So he has a new love interest, Willow, Willow Summers, Summers, who I don't really have anything to back this up, but I have long believed that this actress character that Big has a dalliance with is based on Chris Noss' own brief fling with Winona Ryder. It is, though. Like, isn't that common knowledge? I don't know. I think I told you that years ago, and I may have just (laughs) 
implanted that. I incepted you. Well, we know that it was based on a conversation that Chris Noth had with Michael Patrick King. Yes. And the timing does line up because... Chris Noth and Winona Ryder were spotted kissing at the MTV Movie Awards, the one Sarah Jessica Parker hosted in June 2000, and this episode didn't air till July 22nd, 2001. Okay. Basically, Chris Noth was venting to Daddy MPK about the shit he was going through with this actress. And I believe that's kind of just how they wrote this scene, right? I think so. I think he probably literally said the words like, she could reach me, but I could never reach her. And that's about Winona Ryder. I agree. Incredible. Yeah, I found a a New York Post article from late 2000 when Winona Ryder is promoting Autumn in New York. (laughs) I blocked that out, but sure. This might be a Patreon film. It's where it was also that time where we were completely chill with women in their 20s being romantic interests and the plot being about like, oh, I'm fucking this way older man. And she dates Richard Gere. And doesn't she die of cancer or something? Yes, she has cancer. But I believe Richard Gere had an affair with her mother who died. I believe that's a part of this film. Oh, okay. It's been a minute. Yeah. There's also a little bit of like a Betty and June vibes in the sense that Winona Ryder is like so ill, even though she's a woman in her 20s. It's like her grandmother has to like keep her in a room and she can't see anyone or go out. She's like that fragile. Yikes. Okay. This is a digression. (laughs) So Carrie asks him during the dinner, how's the stock market treating you these days? And is this when they made the switch to him being a finance bro? Oh, yeah, maybe. Obviously, we heard real estate developer Yeah, in the pilot. And then they don't really discuss it. And this is the first time. I mean, he can be a real estate person that's very interested in the stock market. But as we know, he's just this like undefinable wealth guy. Bizbro TBD. I mean, how have we not talked about Carrie's Vivian Westwood skirt? Well, she hasn't left the restaurant yet. Okay, well, that's I'm, I'm why. Looking... <laughs> she's, right, still, well, she's... she's still in the restaurant, Lauren. We have to get through this scene. What else is there to say about this scene? Well, he talks about fucking Winona Ryder. I mean, Willow Summers. <laughs> oh, I blocked that out. I fucked her with her heels on, basically. Hot. And then Carrie's like, no, no, no. I can't. Like, I don't want to hear more of this. It's like, which I get. Like, I wouldn't want to hear an ex talk about their sex life either. But also, I was like, Carrie, like, I want to hear more. (laughs) Shut the fuck up, Carrie. (laughs) Carrie seems more intrigued that Big walked. Uh, You know, look, Big finally gave Raul a night off. Good for him. Bless. Or probably because he's such a piece of shit. Raul had to wait there all night. And then Big comes out and he's like, you know what? You leave. I'm going to walk home. (laughs) And then Raul just had to trail Big for blocks because he's like, he's eventually going to turn around and want to get back in the car. Okay, stop playing with the beer bottle because it's going to be picked up on the bike. <laughs> we were just talking uh, before this episode started about how two bartenders, was it the same bartender? I don't know. We're drinking beers, by the way. Yeah, not vodka Kool-Aid or whatever. And both of us were sitting at bars 
peeling off the labels of our beer bottles. And the bartender was like, you know, only sexually frustrated people do that, right? Which I couldn't even be mad at because it was completely true at the time. Yeah, but like, okay, (laughs) fine. But now I'm good and I still peel the labels off. And I haven't peeled the label off and I am sexually frustrated. So what's that about? (laughs) assholes know nothing i bet it was the same fucking shitty brooklyn like dive bar i don't i think it was just a guy that i was out with at a friend capacity like in a in a group i think it was a guy that worked at the coffee shop i used to go to which again i was so dumb at 21 that i should have been like hey you want to fix that and then taking him home (laughs) was he negging me oh i'm dumb (laughs) Oh, no. Was that bartender hitting on me? No, I think he was just being a fucking prick. All right. So can we now get to Carrie in the Vivian Westwood skirt? Yeah. A skirt so good she wore it twice, but in different colors. Yeah, it is really, really good. You know, Pat was like, give it to me in every color. (laughs) Is that (laughs) worst? My Pat McGrath impression. <laughs> Your Pat Field impression? <laughs> Your Pat McGrath impression should be like <laughs> British at least. It's so good. It's like emerald satin mini skirt with like a white fluffy bustle. It looks like a chicken, you know, but in a sexy way, in a flirty way. Like if you were going to be a chicken, but you're like down to fuck. A DTF chicken. Yeah. It's really good. And the genius of Pat is to let the skirt speak for itself and have just a gauzy button-down shirt. Yeah, for sure. But as she's walking down the street, she sees some wheat-pasted posters for Willow Summer's latest film and uh, then sees a rat. And, and then sees a rat and we get our second Carrie Shriek of the episode. Which we'll play here. <laughs> That noise, that must be how she actually shrieks. Or does she just realize, like, this shriek has so much comedic value? That this is Carrie's shriek? I think about that when I watch sex scenes with actors or, like, scenes where actors have to masturbate. And I'm like, see, I could never be an actor because I would be too self-conscious that people would watch this and then be like, oh, okay, that's how Adam Driver masturbates. Interesting. I think it is how they like you wouldn't like have a completely different like stroke game. (laughs) Daniel Day Lewis might. (laughs) Daniel Day Lewis changes his masturbation technique for like three years in anticipation of a of a five minute of a five second (laughs) masturbation scene. I would like to believe that Daniel Day Lewis's character in Last of Mohicans masturbates differently than uh, Mr. Woodcock in, in Phantom Thread. Yeah, I think he puts in that kind of work. That's where he forms the character to begin with. He's like, how do they jerk off, though? Uh, I guess the only answer to this Sarah Jessica Parker question is we have to scare her. Yes, that's what I was going to say, yeah. We have to scare her. Okay, so we're back in the country. It might not even be a weekend. Carrie's just like, we got to go. Samantha, in a scene we don't see, I don't know what she tells Samantha to trick her to coming to suffer in New York. You would think that the lie was, there's really hot men here. Well, there is one, and she fucks him, so. And that's the best part of this episode, might I say. Don't you think? 
Yeah, sorry. All I can think about is that milk splattering her face. It's the funniest part of the episode. So Carrie tries to con Samantha into helping her bake an apple pie, but she doesn't have milk, which is insane. So Samantha sees some guy in overalls, not Carrie. <laughs> Who I thought they called farmer fuck, but I think I'm just thinking of fryer fuck. But no. I think ev- every it should be everyone's vocation plus fuck in some <laughs> order. He might as well be farmer fuck. Uh, so, so Samantha wanders over in a really fabulous outfit. Might I say. Which I think she's only in just so she can do that thing where she takes out her shirt tails and then ties them so it becomes a crop top. Yeah, she's in like some like monochromatic, like hot pink outfit, pants, shirt, with some insane, I believe it's Philip Tracy hat? Almost a bucket hat. It's so weird. It's crazy. It's like a it's like a novelty print hat with some sort of rickrack trim, but I believe that someone informed us that it was Philip Tracy at some point throughout the the course of having this Instagram account. And then like strappy sandals, which Samantha walking through hay in strappy sandals is the funniest thing in this entire episode. I noticed while rewatching this that when she says we're going to need us some milk it's a totally 80 yard line because even the delivery of it is so different yeah feels like an italian spaghetti western or something (laughs) which is like i didn't notice that i didn't notice that i completely forgot that this is the episode where we get bunny bathing tray yeah which is another reason why this is a brilliant episode despite everything right like there might be some flat points but yeah it's a bit of filler because if you took out this episode are you missing anything yes only because it sets up things for the next few episodes between the reason why Miranda and Steve end up fucking to the breakdown of Big's relationship with Willow Summers yeah did this remind you of me when Trey says to explain what his mother was doing she wasn't watching me bathe we were having a conversation in the bath as like a rationalization I might give to like the closeness with my family I'm like no no no. yeah but you're not having adult bath time with your parents no (laughs) (laughs) I looked up whimsically no No, I mean, even his explanation, again, Kyle MacLachlan is such a good actor that you believe it, but it's like, this makes no sense. Yeah, but Charlotte's reaction, like, she's reacting to the sight of seeing Trey in the bath with, you know, his mom sitting on the side of the bath smoking a cigarette. She's reacting as if this is incest. Yeah, it's not like Bunny is actively bathing him. No, like, they're just chilling. Like, it's no big deal. But she's like angrily like repotting orchids or something. I know. Yeah, that orchid's not going to survive. <laughs> There's too much anger going on there. It's like, girl, what are you accusing him of exactly? Yeah, I, she's like, well, we're not going to raise our children that way. And that's when Trey reveals that he was raised by nannies and sort of felt for Trey in that moment. Yeah, he's like, the only time I saw my mom was when she bathed me after her tennis lesson and before cocktail hour or something to that effect. I just made that up, but I think that might be what it actually was. Yeah, it's either tennis or or racquetball, but certainly it was in between that and some sort of recreational activity and cocktail hour. I don't know, Buddy's life sounds amazing. Yeah. 
But Kristen is so fucking funny because, of course, that's when Charlotte's ovulation clock goes off and they start fucking in front of the in front of the orchids and her legs go high and she makes this really funny noise. Although I do want to say it is kind of fucked up that when Charlotte realizes she's ovulating, she's like, Trey, get in here and make love to me. It's like you're in your mother-in-law's house. Yeah, who's like she's inappropriate like, now? She's screaming like from one room to another about like, come fuck me now. It's like, To be girl, fair, it's the room they're staying in. Still. <laughs> still. Oh, you're just talking about the, the scene before her discovering Bunny and Trey. I thought the... I mean, they end up fucking on her orchids. <laughs> Anyone could walk in at any point. And she, and she dare says, says what's inappropriate in Bunny's house. Yeah, it's true. Then we have Miranda, who has been with Steve during his surgery, and he wakes up from his testicular surgery. I'm sure Daddy MPK forgot about this scene, but, um, you know, how are we to be surprised that Miranda cares for Steve after watching a scene like this? Well, she cares for him, and in just like that, she just, like, thinks he's an unfuckable loser. Which, you know, hard disagree. I don't know what that says about me, but... Yeah, should they have been platonic friends that decided to raise a child together and co-parent? Sure. Yeah. So Farmer Fuck gives Samantha the line. We tie up the what are you doing next weekend joke that he wants to see her again. And as Samantha has taught us, that is the most disgusting thing (laughs) a man can ever say. That and holding your hand. So Carrie finally succeeds in making a pie crust. The way that she's making this apple pie is so confounding because she's baking the crust and then she's like, now I just have to put apples in it. It's like raw apples. I've never understood how she's making this pie. Put the apples in and then put it back in the oven. Yeah, have you never made a pie? I've made a pie, but you usually put it all together. She literally just says, now I just have to put apples in it. I don't understand the people that like have to make the crust. It's like you can just buy the crust and throw the shit in it, right? That's what I'm saying. But she bakes the crust already and then is like, look, the crust is done. Now I just have to put apples in it. Oh, yeah, you're right. Thank you. I've thought about this (laughs) a lot. (laughs) More than me. I don't think that it, I don't think the problem is that it's so rustic. I just think that the the kitchen's too tiny because she backs up and burns her her legs on the oven, which after being surprised by the squirrel. Oh, right. The squirrel comes back. That's why she drops the pie. She burns herself. And then she screams at Aiden, which I was so triggered by this because this was a full, this is like a full fight that Tad and I would have. (laughs) I forgot about Carrie and Aiden, and I know this about Sarah Jessica Parker and John Corbett, but there's a foot height difference between them. But there was something about this scene when he lifts her up on the counter that just like unlocked my size kink. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, ooh. Size kink unlocked. Um, there is something about a man you can climb like a tree. <laughs> really? See, I totally don't have that. I once said that in front of my father and he was very upset. And as you know, I've said very fucked up things in front of my father (laughs) and he's listened to every episode of this podcast and he's never been upset at anything I said other than me saying once I wanted to climb someone like a tree. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. God, I also, the other thing I'm looking at is just Sarah Jessica Parker's abs. It's like... It's amazing. It's true. It's like, are you doing a thousand crunches a day? What's going on there? 
It's true, though, that you did get more raw sexuality in that, like, half a second. Because she grabs his hair and he groans. And I was like, ooh, another thing unlocked is I think I'm here for subby Aiden. <laughs> Ew. Not Aiden bottoming. I'm not into that. So presumably they fuck. Yeah. Or she pegs him. One, one or the other. Actually, that's the one place I think the size kink wouldn't work. Is like, how do you exactly get oh, leverage? <laughs> I think um, she'd have to have like 50 pillows stacked <laughs> under her knees or something. Okay, somehow Carrie and Samantha make it back to the city. And Carrie has packed a, a, a white pinstripe vest and pants. It was very you sort of uh, ensemble, I thought, minus the the gloves, which are one of those things that only makes sense on Carrie Bradshaw. Oh, wow. I was about, wow. I was about to flex and be like, don't be so sure. Wait till you see me come fall. And then you were like, that's something only Carrie Bradshaw can pull off. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll cancel with those. With a vest, ex- Lauren? With okay, a vest. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I don't have come to, on. I don't have to cancel those Etsy orders just yet. <laughs> But also, it's like Samantha has a hat box. It's like, I guess for the Philip Tracy hat. <laughs> you would. You would have to. You'd have to. So they cannot get a cab, but thankfully they've stopped at McDonald's, another iconic McDonald's product placement. Yeah. And they get the delicious apple pies. Another thing we should have bought for this episode. We're so dumb. Vodka Kool-Aid and McDonald's apple, apple pies. pies. That sounds great. Oh, my God. And clearly a prop person that's artfully and perfectly ripped the box so that a little bit of pie is sticking out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Samantha has to flash her leg to get a cab, which I'm like, are we foreshadowing Sex in the City 2? <laughs> or quite like Aaron Sorkin, Daddy MPK just likes it, has a certain amount of references that he just keeps using again and again. Yeah. And then uh, they realize that, you know, city girls are just country girls with cuter outfits. But um bump. Justice for Aiden's cabin. Do you think in the world of sex in the city, Aiden's done an architectural digest tour of that suffering house? Mm, I don't know if he's that guy, but I'm sure that like it was pretty sick to have that during the pandemic. Hopefully he added some rooms for Tate and <laughs> Shaw. No. <laughs> Tate Donovan. No, that's an actor. <laughs> yeah, what is it? what are his other other kids named? Hold on. Homer, Wyatt, and Tate. Of course. Wyatt. Oh, not Homer? Yeah. No. You know what? Let's not talk shit about any of these names because like someone probably has that name that's listening. Homer just makes me think about to tie it back to Winona Ryder and Richard Gere. Richard Gere was one of those guys that was like, I'm never having kids and then had a kid in his 50s and that kid was named Homer. Wow. Lauren. (laughs) Please get a life. Stop (laughs) knowing these things. I didn't say that. I appreciate that, but that's crazy that you know that. I also know that Richard Gere just had two children at like 75 or how old, however old he is. What are they named? Okay, that I Tate don't know. and uh, Wyatt. I've clicked on an article. Richard Gere's kids meet his three rarely seen children. I love these articles that act like he's hiding them and not like it's not a normal thing to just 
be famous but not show your children not make them a commodity all right alexander gear and uh an unnamed second child that he welcomes <laughs> in april 2020 <laughs> i'm gonna go with wyatt <sighs> so what should we do next um we don't have to pick them now yeah but... let's not pick it now we've gotten some good suggestions on the hotline so i say we pick one of those yeah maybe we should go back to season one yeah we've never done season one okay all right perfect all right i love you chell love you too see you next week bye (laughs) 